And I want to just begin by reading through this portion. Now, you guys are familiar with it. We've referenced it multiple, multiple times here from the pulpit. But before we go through the study, I want you to grasp once again the, the volume and very specifically how the Holy Spirit brings about this event that takes place. So in John chapter 13, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who's bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? He says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things Blessed are you if you do them. This is going to be our text for tonight. And I think it's important that as we look to this, we're going to see there's really some clarifications that we need to have when it comes to this portion of Scripture. It declares it's before the Feast of Passover when Jesus knew the hour was coming that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's interesting that this first verse begins with a statement of absolute love and commitment. I love that. It just opens up with this incredible statement of, of love where it, it talks about having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is incredible. Now, when we recognize love, greater love hath any man that he would lay down his life for his friends. We know that. He came to redeem them. He came to save them and to bring them into a right relationship with their Father in heaven. He loves them. And when it comes to this term, he loved them to the end, I want you to understand that this term literally doesn't mean end, like you go to the end of the road and you stop and you're done. It doesn't mean you're at the end of a journey and you stop and you're done. The word end in this context should be to the furthest point. In other words, what we're recognizing, it doesn't denote stopping. It's to the furthest extent that when you think you've been loved enough, then he gives you more love and then he gives you more love. And he gives you, do you understand? It's a never ending, always increasing, always more. And this is what he's saying. He says, I, I've loved those who were in the world, and I've loved them to the end. So amazingly, as we look at this first portion, 
that Jesus knows that his hour has come. We've looked at this over and over. Before he said, my hour has not yet come. Now he says, okay, my hour has come. This is the hour. This is that moment in which he is going to drink that cup the Father has for him. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die for our sins. And it's interesting that as he says this, he recognizes Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world. I find it interesting that he doesn't say, I'm going to depart from the world. You know, it's this world. He talks about the God of this world. See, Jesus didn't create this world. He created the world. Adam, however, ruined it, and it became this world. And so it's amazing that he's going to depart from this world, not, not the world. We recognize there was a massive shift that went on because when God created, everything was perfect. When Jesus begins here, his role in this passage, it's one of absolute and perfect love in its simplicity. As we see the simplicity of what he's about to do, keep in mind that we're, we're looking at Jesus here, and he does something amazing. He simply washes feet. He washes feet, and yet the Holy Spirit really says, I want the simplicity of this act that he does to others, that he does to his disciples. I want this written in my word that will never return void, that this word is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away. His words will never pass away. This is eternal. This act, simply washing feet, can become an act of worship. And so often, I think we wonder how humdrum things can become an act of worship. Doesn't it have to be huge? Doesn't it have to be amazing? No, it really doesn't. It's so interesting that when it comes to the, the, the simple acts of worship, that it doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be great. You don't have to build a cathedral to God in order to declare, declare that, yes, I'm worshiping in the right way. I find it interesting that when Moses had come down from the mountain, he saw the people there in, in Exodus sinning. They had built a golden calf, and he broke the tablets. And eventually what God is going to say is, i got to make new tablets. i I, I got I to give you these commandments again. They're already broken. But what God does is this. In Exodus chapter 34, he tells Moses something unique. And he says, Moses, you're going to come up to this mountain and you're going to meet with me. And in Exodus 34, the first four verses, the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. He said, I want you to make a simple wooden tablet, like the first ones. I don't want you to decide that you can make a better shape. I don't want you to decide that you can make it better. I want you to make it exactly as I, my heart revealed initially. This is how you worship. You don't change the worship. This is what you do. I told you, make tablets like the first ones. And then amazingly, in verse 4 of Exodus 34, so he cut two tablets of stones like the first ones. He just simply walks in everything that God had said. He said, I want you to make the tablets, and this is what he does. He doesn't say, well, no, I can do it better, Lord. I got a better idea of how this is. You're, the way you did it was kind of plain. The way you did it was kind of simple. I think I could really make a great design on these tablets, one that the people don't even have to read the words and they would be wowed. Do you understand? And I love it how Jesus Christ, he didn't come, and, and the scriptures talk about he had no form or comeliness that anyone desire him. God didn't say the beauty is going to be on the outward. He simply said what? Let the beauty be the hidden, the inward. And I think it's so important that here, Jesus in this act of love, this act of worship is, is so simple, so basic. And, you know, it's one of those things where can you really worship God in the simple? Can you worship God in what the world would consider humdrum? So understand that, you know, if you think, could I really wash someone's feet? And could it be a worship to God? Could I really wash dishes? And could it be a worship to God? Could I wash laundry? And could it be, you know, could I wash the car? You know, what can I do? Can I do something that simple and make it worship? And the answer is absolutely yes when you give it to God. And you do it to the glory of God. 
But I love it how the first verse begins with this absolute love, this epitome, this perfect love, the simplicity of love. And then directly after that, the very second verse contrasts it. No longer a verse of love and commitment, but now it's a statement of hatred and betrayal. I want you to understand it says this, supper being ended, the devil, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Understand that when we recognize that here, is there hatred? Is this truly to the degree that it is hatred? I want to share with you just a couple of verses in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. Let me just read it to you. It simply declares this. We know that we are of God and the whole world, note this, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Why do I want you to understand that we're of God, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one? Well, in just a couple of weeks, we'll get into John chapter 15. And there in John chapter 15, two verses to be aware of, verse 18 and 19 makes this declaration. If the world hates you, do you understand? This world that is under the sway of the wicked one, this world that is there, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You have to understand that when it comes to Satan, Satan hates. He is the, the epitome. He's the original hater. That's what he does. And he's a liar and he's a murderer and he hates. And so we recognize that it goes from this passage of love where Jesus is loving them perfectly, eternally, and, and where literally it's not a thing of stopping. It's not an end. It's to the furthest extent that love can be measured. In other words, it just keeps going further and further. This is the love of the first verse. And then immediately goes from love to hate the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we'll see it's not the love and commitment of Jesus to his people. Now we see what? Now it's the hatred and betrayal of the enemy. And I think it's important to recognize that there's this incredible contrast that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand of what's happening on this night. There is a battle of love and hatred. That's what it is. Love and hate. Good and evil. Light and darkness. And on this night, guess which one the Holy Spirit chooses to accentuate? accentuates love and it's the love in the simplest form and we think that sometimes in order to overcome hatred we have to do great things and the answer is no you don't that have to be great things it has to be the, the the simplicity of love that is here and so as we look to this i want you to recognize that in verse three it says now jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hand that he had come from god and was going to god this is important as, as we understand this. It, it talks about, one, his divine origin. Jesus had come from God. So we recognize that the Father had given him all things into his hands. He has complete authority. He had come from God, his divine origin. And then it says this, that he was going to God. And so we see his future glorification. <clears throat> his life was perfect. It was literally everything that he needed it to be was locked in. So the father had given him all authority. <clears throat> he had come from God. He was going to God. And in the midst of this area, recognizing that he was, as Philippians makes this statement, in fact, let me just read it to you. <clears throat> it declares this in Philippians 2 verse 6 who being the very form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. <clears throat> He'd come from God. 
As a matter of fact, he was God. He didn't even consider robbery to be equal with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. We understand that aspect, that part of God in his heart. And so we recognize here that he has this origin of heaven. This is where he comes from. He was sent here to us. And as he has that origin, keep in mind that he has this future glorification. He knows what's about to happen. In Philippians chapter 2, in fact, let me read it to you. It says, after his ministry here on earth, verse 9 and 10 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and has given him the name above every name that the name of Jesus every knee should bow down of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And then verse 11, and that, at, that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amazing. We see here he, he has this, this origin, I was God, and I'm going to finish this up by being glorified as God. How amazing is that? So what does he do? Well, amazingly, this act that he does, he is about to go and, and sit literally at the right hand of the Father. Well, let me, let me share with you one passage in Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to share with you, no, Hebrews chapter 1 is what I need. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 makes this statement, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You understand, he's sitting there in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, there in heaven, being glorified. But before he does that, before he finished his ministry and he went on high, he went to heaven to be exalted and glorified, he lays aside his garments. Do you understand? He, he, he puts on this robe, the place of a servant. He picks up a towel. He girds himself, puts water in a basin, and begins to wash his disciples' feet. This is incredible. To recognize it here, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, now in verses 4 and 5, arose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. It's interesting that here he's, before he's elevated, he stoops once again. He's already stooped to come to earth as a man. He stooped again to become the servant of man, to go to the cross and die. But he stoops once again to become the lowest of the servants of everyone there in the room, he was master, he was teacher, he was Lord, he was God. He's the one who begins to wash the disciples' feet. And I, I want to show you a, a contrast here because it's important to make note that when Scripture talks about the, the, the feet here in chapter 13, it's important to understand that this isn't the first time that feet are mentioned here in the gospel. If you recall when we started chapter 12, the first three verses were this, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Verse three, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil to spitener anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Understand, there's a contrast that comes that when you just look at John chapter 13 and you don't focus that there was already a foot issue or foot worship, if you will, worshiping Jesus at, at his feet and anointing his feet, they're going to miss something that's huge here. 
Because this contrast is important. This contrast is needed to understand what's happening here in this thing. So Jesus' feet were what? Anointed. The disciples' feet were washed. There, there, there's an understanding that when Jesus passed through this world, remember now, he talked about, he, he knew that he was going to depart from this world, this sinful world. When Jesus passed through this world, amazingly, he was not defiled. There was no defilement on him. It doesn't say that Jesus needed his feet washed. Jesus here, it talks about his feet being anointed. He was anointed as an act of worship, as a proclamation of the glory of the ministry that would be of reconciliation of mankind through the cross. It's incredible that it was a statement of his glory. And so we recognize here that when it comes to Jesus Christ, he was not defiled. When it comes to his feet, he is anointed. When it comes to him, everything he does is in line with the will of the Father. Two passages I want to give you. Just jot them down if you're a note taker. The first is found in John chapter 5, verse 19, where Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Whatever he sees the Father do, for whatever he does the Son also does in like manner. Jesus takes nothing on of himself. There in John chapter 8, two verses I want to read to you. The verse is 28, second is 29. It makes this declaration. Then Jesus said to them, John 8, 28, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And as he who sent me is with me, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Do you understand? He does nothing of himself. Everything the Father shows him, that's what he does. He even speaks, even the very words he says are not his own, but all that the Father declares. So understand that Jesus here takes on no defilement as he walks in the world. The disciples are different. Do you understand? That according to what we are reading here in John 13, verse 10, Jesus said, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So you understand you have to wash your feet. There is a defilement that comes as they're walking in this world. There's sin that hits them as they're walking through this world. And so, so keep in mind that it's when they take on this defilement, and it's not to, it doesn't make them completely unclean. Do you understand? Only their feet are unclean. Only their feet needs to be washed. And so, but, but keep in mind that I want you to recognize that as he points out their feet, their feet needing cleansing, that Jesus cares about even the smallest amount of defilement. It doesn't have to be a lot. And anything that's there, even the smallest amount, what Jesus does is this. He recognizes that it needs a constant cleaning, a constant washing. He said, you bathe, you're, you're, you're clean, but, but you, you have to wash the feet again. You have to cleanse that because as you're walking about this world, this defiled world, you will pick up a defilement. But Jesus humbly, tenderly, lovingly assists them in the cleansing of it. And understand, that is true today. That as you and I go through this world, we also pick on a defilement. Now, the amazing thing is this. This defilement was washed. It was made right, not by anointing oil, not by blood, but by what? Water. It was a washing of water. And it's important to recognize that, that here, Jesus washes them with water. This defilement that they pick up from the world is now cleansed, not through the blood of Christ, 
but is cleansed through what? Through the water. We understand the water of the word, the washing of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a passage, and I want to read it to you, that in John chapter 13, verse 10, as he says this, he who is bathed need only to wash his feet. And then you're completely clean. The, the cleansing of the feet is what's needed. The, the, the cleansing of walking in this world is what's needed. There's a passage in 1 John. Let me read it to you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It's one you guys know, but I want to share it with you. But it says this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, and this is important, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so we recognize that, that there is this, this cleansing, a complete cleansing with the blood. And what God is doing here is, is not a reapplication of the blood. Do you, do you understand what's happening now? It's not where, oh, oh, you sinned, I got it, more blood is needed. That, that's not what's happening. The blood already cleansed. You are completely clean, but now you need to be washed. The blood regenerates you. The blood cleanses you from all sin. But now there's this defilement, and that requires washing, not additional blood. Let me share with you just an aspect of, of what this means to us as believers. In the book of Hebrews... And, and I want to start reading in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Then I want to back it up to verse to chapter 9. But in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it makes this statement. For by one offering, he is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. One offering. That's it. For one offering, he has perfected forever. See, God sees you as absolutely perfect. This is, this is the ultimate sanctification that is done through the blood of Jesus Christ. But then there's this process of, oh my goodness, I still need to have this washing going on. But that doesn't require more blood. And I want you to understand that there's a lot of Christians who think that when I've sinned, now I need the blood again. And that's not what it is. You know, it's almost like I lost my salvation. Do I need Jesus to die again? No, that, that's not how the scriptures teach it. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, let me start reading in verse 9. I want to read down to verse 14. It says this, that it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regarding to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings, fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. So we see here that it was an understanding of these gifts and offerings that were constantly brought before the Lord, and it says, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect. The blood of the Old Testament could never do what Jesus' blood has done. It can't make you perfect. Now in verse 11 of Hebrews 10, it makes this statement, or Hebrews 9, verse 11 of Hebrews 9, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkling on the Sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do you understand? It's not a reapplication of the blood. This is huge for you and I as believers recognize that in the Old Testament there had to be blood and then more blood and then more blood and there was always blood. The high priest, every year when he goes in, there's always going to be what? You know that after he goes in on the Day of Atonement, makes a sacrifice for the people, makes a sacrifice for him, goes and put blood on the altar, what begins to happen? 
you know that when he comes out and says, it's done, you're cheering, and you realize what? He's going to go back in next year. He has to go back in. Why? Because we're not perfected. And we know that he's got to go back in next year because it's not done yet. Jesus Christ, he's already entered the holiest of all. He's already made the way through his own blood, through his own sacrifice. And he tells us, come boldly before the throne of grace. Not you stay out here, we'll do the work. It's already so done, you're so perfected, you can come in. And so we realize here that Jesus, he only needed to what? Spill his blood once. And, and that brings about this past, this future, this ultimate sanctification that we know what? We're clean. But then what happens is this. Well, all of a sudden, then you need the water. See, the, 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 the blood brings about this eternal security that we have with God, but the water brings about what? It's a daily sanctification. And it's important to recognize that the, 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 the blood brings the, 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 our sin is now wiped out before God. It's cleared. It, it's done. And, and, and keep in mind this, this great and awesome holy God now judges us not with condemnation, but he comes and says, welcome into the joy of your Lord. I see you through my son. Now the water is going to bring about the, the cleansing that we need to as we daily walk in this world. There has to be this, this washing. And so what happens is this. This is the word of God and the working of the spirit. That there has to be through Jesus this, this work that is done. Now, now keep in mind that why does God need us to go through a cleansing process? Well, take a look at John 13, verse 8. Remember what Peter said to him? When Jesus said, what I am doing, you do not understand now. So at this point, Peter in verse 6 says, Lord, are you washing my feet? It's a very simple statement. Are you washing my feet? And what does Jesus answer him? What I am doing, you do not understand now. It's not about physically washing your feet. There's a whole greater understanding to what's about to be declared here. I am taking you and I'm cleansing your defilement that you have as you walk through the world. Jesus walked through, had no defilement. He gets to be anointed with power and glory. The disciples, however, not, not anointed. You need to be cleansed. You need to be washed. And so when he told Peter, are you, when Peter said, are you washing my feet? He said, yes, but no. You don't understand yet. You will after this, but you don't understand this now. So Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And amazingly, Jesus makes a statement in verse 8. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Do you understand how it's important it is to have our feet washed? Because as we take on this defilement, what begins to happen is this, is we begin to lose the intimacy that we have with God. Sin is defiled me. If I don't go to the word and allow it to wash me, if I don't go to the Holy Spirit, allow him to, to move, when he washes, it keeps you and it keeps me able to enjoy what? Intimacy. And that's his greatest desire. Do you understand that, that what Jesus did is he recognized that he had come from the Father and was going to the Father. There was intimacy I had initially. There's going to be intimacy I have again. And of course, I'm intimate as I walk here. You guys are missing it. And every time we become defiled, what happens is we lose that connection with God, the, the incredible sense of intimacy. But every time we're washed, what happens? You go into the Word, you let it wash you, and guess what? I'm intimate again. You allow the Holy Spirit to just fall upon me, and guess what happens? I'm intimate again. And that's what I want. That's what I need. 
And it's so important to see that what begins to happen is this, is there's an understanding of intimacy. And so as we look to this, we begin to see that this is where the Lord's heart is. And so as he goes to, when Peter says, are you washing my feet? So the answer is yes, but the other answer is not really. See, you, you're looking at the physical. You're not seeing the spiritual. And Peter says, well, well then you will never wash my feet. And he says, if I don't wash if you don't allow your feet to be washed, you're not going to have a part with me. You're not going to have intimacy with me. And so Simon Peter said, well, they're not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Let's, let's get all of this done. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. You don't need a rewash. You don't need the blood again. You don't need to be set clean. You just need to be washed. And Christian, understand that when we sin, and you and I will sin, you don't need to reapply the blood. The blood's already there. What you need to do is what? Get back into your word. You, you do need to confess. You do need to turn. You do. That's part of the washing process. But what David said in, in the Psalm 51, after he had had an affair with Bathsheba, had murdered Uriah the Hittite and the other Hebrews that went to the wall with him, David had the boldness to say this, Lord, oh, return to me the joy of my salvation. Really? Not, not give to me salvation again? No, no, you have it, but I have no joy in it. And so it's so important to realize that when the Lord, he goes through and he's anointed. He's been through this world. He's not defiled. Disciples go through this world and they get defiled and you need to be washed. And so he makes that statement. He says, listen, when he says, you can't wash me. He says, if I don't wash, you're not intimate with me. He says, then, okay, then, then wash everything. He says, you know, you don't understand. I've already made the way for you to be intimate through my blood. Now you just have to get that defilement off you. You have to be redirected. You have to be focused on me. And I think it's important to, to see here what begins to happen. And so when he says, listen, in verse 10, Jesus, he who's bathed and he's only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. Talking about Judas Iscariot, whom the devil had entered back in verse 2. So, verse 12, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Now, understand, he's already told Peter, what I'm doing you don't understand now. And now he's asking all the disciples, do you know what I have done to you? Now, the answer is this. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. So he makes that statement. This is, you know, you're calling me the Lord. You're calling me teacher. You've given me authority over your life. And then he says this, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I want to share with you one passage in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Let me simply read it to you. It makes this declaration. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Do you understand why he's saying, listen, if I have done this to you, if I've done this, I want you now to do this. If I have taken and I've washed, I want you to take and I want you to wash. Don't understand, we have shoes and stockings. They didn't. We, we literally, as, as they would walk around in sandals, they would get dust on their feet. I don't have dust on my feet. And, and, and so is it, is it about the actual physical washing of the feet or is there more to it than that? 
Well, he makes this statement, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Now, amazingly, I love the example that he has done. I love the example that he has made. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, let me simply read you that verse. It makes this declaration, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I want to recognize that if I'm going to be glorified in heaven, what do I want to do? I want to stoop down and serve today. How can I bring about a cleansing? How can I recognize to to say, how can we cleanse one another? And I love it because the New Testament teaches us what? Washing in the water of the word. It's important. The word washes. The Holy Spirit washes. That's the water that we have in the New Testament. So as we recognize it, and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to let you know. I've given you example. You should do as I've done. Verse 16, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So he makes this statement about the washing of feet, but he also had made the statement, what I'm doing you do not understand now. So the question that comes as far as the washing of the feet, here's the question. Should we wash one another's feet in a corporate setting here in the sanctuary? It's a good question to ask. Now, if you've been a part of this ministry, you will say, well, Lowell, in in the last five years, I don't remember any foot washings. True. But if you were here 10 years ago, you would make this statement. In the last 10 years, I don't remember any foot washings. That would be true. But if you've been here 20 years ago, you would say, Lowell, I don't remember any foot washings even 20 years ago. That would be true. If you were here on day one, we've never had a foot washing. Not corporately. So should we wash one another's feet in a corporate setting here in the church? Now, remember what we've talked about before, that when we do anything here as a corporate worship, it has to be found in what we consider four legs. What are those four legs? It has to be found in the Old Testament. You have to see it declared and and opened up in the Old Testament. You have to see it then in the Gospels. You have to see it there in the book of Acts, the early church practicing these things. You have to see it then in the epistles explained and and opened up and declared this is how it's done. So everything that we do here has to have those four legs. This is why we don't dance before the Lord here in the sanctuary. Now you can dance your heart out at home. You can dance for Jesus. You can rock out in your car. That's one thing. But in the sanctuary, we say, well, David danced before the Lord. This is true. I understand that. Do you see the epistles teaching on how to dance properly before the Lord? No, they don't talk about that. It's found in one area. It's a form of worship. You can do that worship. That's all fine if God speaks to you. But when it comes to corporate worship, We know we're secure when we do what? When it lands on Old Testament, when it lands on the Gospels, when it's taught in the book of Acts and it's taught in the epistles. So how does foot washing line up? Well, interestingly, this is interesting, and I'm going to be honest with you. This is where God is is trying to make sure that I understand his heart. I understand what's going on. Is foot washing found in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Genesis 18, 4. Let me simply read it to you. Where God and the angels come to visit Abraham. And Abraham makes this statement in Genesis 18, 4. He says, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Abraham desires to be a person to wash God's feet and the angels that are there. It's a ministry. We also see it in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 41. If you're familiar with that passage, that's where, where Abigail, who was married to Nabal before he died, 
And, and amazingly, in 1 Samuel 25, 41, she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, <clears throat> here's your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So she said, out of all the servants, I want to wash the feet of your servants. They'll be washing yours. Do you understand the, the humility that Abigail declares that not only am I going to, you know, not, I'm not worthy to even wash your feet, David, but I found myself worthy to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So we do see that, yeah, it is taught there in the Old Testament. It's also taught in the Gospels. How do you know? Well, there's a passage in John chapter 13 where Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet, that's teaching in the Gospels. And uniquely, it's also taught in the epistles. Let me share with you, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, it makes this statement of the widows, and I found it to be an incredible statement. It says this, talking about the widows under 60 years old, <clears throat> it says this, if she's well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So we see again, she's a servant. So it's found on three legs. Does that mean that maybe there's an opportunity? Well, the issue being is this, it's not found in the book of Acts. There's not one time that anyone there in the early church goes about and says, hey, we need, to, we need to wash someone's feet here in the early church. It just wasn't stated. And so because of that, because it's not found in the four legs, it doesn't mean that you can't wash the feet of someone there in your own home, that you can't minister as God calls you to minister. But because it's not found in all four of the legs that we stand on, we don't do it corporately. There's one other issue that I have, and this is my own personal one. So what I'm about to share with you is thus saith the Lowell, not thus saith the Lord. And there is a difference. But what I've seen is this, and I, I've witnessed it, I've, I've been a part of it, and I want to share with you kind of where I've been and what I see with this. There's a passage in the Gospel of Mark, and let me share it with you. If you want, just turn there, Mark chapter 7. And in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, Jesus does something unique and different. It says in Mark 7, verse 1, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw that some of his disciples ate bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. So the disciples were not washing their hands according to keep in mind ceremony would be the best word to put it. There was a ceremony to wash your hands to where you could literally say, because I've washed my hands in this way, I know that I am undefiled. You take water and you pour them from the tip of your fingers down to your elbow and then you turn them upside down and then you, you allow the water to go from your fingers and then you, you can cleanse it. But it's a ceremonial cleansing. doesn't mean the disciples had grody hands. They just didn't do it in a way that was religious. There wasn't a religious washing that went on. Verse 3, it kind of gives a commentary on what's going on with the Pharisees. It says the Holy Spirit speaks to us. For the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a very special way, holding the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And this is washing in a very particular way, ceremonially. There are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, the washing of pitchers, washing of copper vessels, couches. I even clean up where I sit. It's amazing how much water is used here with the Pharisees. Now, I'm going to add one thing, washing of feet. 
You can do that too, ceremonially. But notice what happens. In verse 5, it makes a statement. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked them, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands? Now, not dirty hands. Unceremonially cleansed hands. We do it the right way. This is how we think we have to do it. We've got to wash it in a way that is right. And I want you to understand what Jesus talks about in their desire to wash in a way that is ceremony only. Notice what he says in verse 6. He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Absolutely amazing that what was happening is this. It became a ritual. It became an outward ceremony. It wasn't a true honor. Now, when it's just a ceremony that this is what we do to look good, this is what we do to make ourselves feel good, but it's not a true honor. It's not a a, a true where the heart is like Jesus is here, recognizing I'm to be glorified and my heart is what? Not to make me look good, My heart is what? Jesus, what I'm doing, you don't understand now. There's a cleansing that needs to happen to all of us as we walk in the world. And is your heart really to say, how can I cleanse you with the word? Can the word come and cleanse our walks? Can the Holy Spirit, can we pray for the Holy Spirit to come down and to fill us and to cleanse us and to direct us back to having a part with God? intimacy. But we see here that he calls them in Mark 7, verse 6, hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of of men, laying aside the commandment of God. You hold fast the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. That's where I fall under the washing of feet. Many other such things you do. And as we see this washing comes in, he makes this statement in verse 9, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Remember what Jesus, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. You don't fully understand. And what happens is this. My belief is that in the church, when people seek to do it corporately, it becomes an outward ceremony. Now, if there are churches that do it as an honor, praise God. Praise God that that is where that that heart is. But it's difficult. It's difficult because there are many Peters in the church. Don't touch my feet. Oh, wash more than that. Here, I'll go up to my knees. Just really cleanse up on them too. It's amazing how when you make something an outward ceremony, a religious ceremony, and you miss the heart. Remember, Peter, are you washing my feet? More than that. More than that, I'm cleansing, I'm showing you that as you walk in the world, there's a defilement. And I'm showing you that, that you have this defilement and there's a washing that needs to take place. And I'll be honest with you, I think that we should wash, but with the word. I think we should allow the Holy Spirit to come and wash us. And, and I think that when that begins to happen, because it doesn't fit those four legs. I don't have an issue. And I've had a lot of people take issue with me through the years. And I may get some phone calls. I may get some text. I may get some emails. I may get, uh, you know, a tongue lashing when I walk out to the Fellowship Hall. And, and let that be okay. I'll be okay with that. But understand, you won't be the first. You won't be the last. And if we hadn't had it in the first 20-some years, we probably won't have it in the next Unless God takes me and someone else fills in and they think, yeah, I think Lowell was wrong. I think we're going to do this. I think there's a way to do this ceremony in a way that just isn't religious. 
in a way that truly brings about what Jesus here is trying to teach the disciples. Now, if the Spirit leads that, praise God. Then, then go for it. Or if the Spirit leads you to do something like this in your own home to those that you love, then praise God. But understand, it's not just, are you washing my feet? Because if you think that's the key, he says, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will understand after this. And he asked the question, he says, do you know what, I'm, what I've done to you? Do you really understand this? I'm your Lord, I'm your teacher, I'm your master. And, and so what did I do? I humbled myself and I served you. I, I wanted to see the defilement that came through the walking of the world in that spiritual sense. I wanted to see you wash so that you could have a part with me. You understand that how many times do people have a foot washing and they feel drawn closer to God? See, you, you miss it. Now, how many times do you have... The, the word wash you and you feel closer to God. How many times do you feel the Holy Spirit come upon you and you feel close to God? Do you understand that Jesus is saying, you've got to have a part with me. What I'm doing is to draw you closer to me. Now, if you figured out how to do a foot washing to draw that person to God, to be honest with you, when I talk to the people who have had the foot washing, it's just awkward. People don't like to have their feet touched a lot. Now, I, I know there's difference, you know, like, hey, you know what? You really want to glorify God? Give me a pedicure. You really want to do it right? That's, you know, you understand? I, I want to be closer to God, and the pedicure isn't going to do it. Well, what I really want is this. I, I want the defilement washed so that it doesn't keep me away from God. And so... When we do this, I think it's so important that Jesus says, do you know what I've done? Seek to do this. Seek to do this. Not just know of it, but seek to do it. I think it's so important that we seek to allow the word of God to wash one another. Why is that so important? Well, keep in mind that Jesus talked about what? When he said people see sin in other people. He made a statement this is an amazing statement. He said, what happens is this. When you have sin and you see it in someone else, you need to see it as a speck in your brother's eye. And if you feel that you need to get rid of the speck in your brother's eye. Now, how do you get rid of dust? How do you get rid of speck? Well, if you've ever been in a place of business that had dust or stuff, they have what are known as fountains to rinse the eyes. It's amazing that if you have a speck, you wash it. But then he says this. Now, you got a plank in your own eye. Now, I've never seen a guy that has a plank say, just give me a little water, man. I'll slide. No, get me a doctor. I need to deal with this. This is massive to have a plank in my head. Now, when you have a plank in your head, you don't wash it. You go to God. You need the great physician to do this. But when you see it in your brother... It's a speck. Do you understand the difference? And what, what my desire is not to point out, man, you guys got planks. No, I got a plank. I'm going to Christ. And what I need to see in you is a speck. And what I want to do is this. I want to wash it. I want to wash it with the washing of the water by the word. Praying, Holy Spirit, you come in. You fill them. You direct them. You allow them to see your, your, your heart and, and your power and understand as you fill them and change and renew their minds and renew their hearts that they would experience you. And as they experience you, they want more of that experience. And I think it's so important that when it comes to these areas of, of worship, it's just keep it simple. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to be an elaborate elaborate ceremony let's line up and then we'll get people to take off your shoes and and you know and take off your socks and wash all your feet and and you know I'll, I'll tell you if you want me to take my clothes off and put on a towel you guys would be offended it wouldn't be the way that you expected and, and do you understand how when people do this they they do it in a way that's what is a ceremony and, and that's my issue with it. And, all on. and of course, it doesn't line up to the four legs. So because of that, we do not practice it here. 
If you want to practice it at your own place, go right ahead. If you want to talk to me afterwards, go ahead. But this is where we stay. This is where we stay as a, a church. This is where we stay. And I want you to know why. I, I don't want to try to snow you. I don't want to change the thing. But I do want you to understand what Jesus is saying here in this passage is not, you guys start this ceremony. Do the ceremony. That's not it. He, he makes a statement, do you understand what I've done? I've given you an example of what washing is and only what washing is needed. I was anointed in my feet. You need to be washed. May we come to that understanding that, Lord, I need your word constantly to renew me and to refresh me and to cleanse me. I need your spirit to do the same thing. May that be our hearts. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage, how good you are, what it is that you declare and, and how you move and how you meet and how you minister. And Father, it's, it's not, we're not good because we don't do this. We're not bad because we don't do this. But Father, it is our heart to always allow this time to be a time of washing. Just to be a washing, at a time of when we're in the world, allow your word to come and, and wash us so that we can draw closer to you, that we can be a part of you, near to you. And so, Father, do the work here in this place. Allow your word to wash us. Allow your Holy Spirit to renew us. Oh, if anyone thirsts, come to you. We will receive these torrents of living water. What an amazing, beautiful thing. Cleanse us. Wash us. Knit us to your heart, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.